0: The winner of 2018 BC party leadership and the next premier of Ontario is Doug Ford.
1: To the party members, I say thank you. To the people of Ontario, I say relief is on its way.
0: We're going to leave you everything and make sure
1: that uh, we run people that were put in there, elected by the people they're riding. Not uh you know, not parachuted in and not uh
0: appointed in and uh we're, we're gonna review everything.
1: The whistleblower wins, I'm Marlene Bynan.
2: I'm Jamie Ellerton. This is Buy a Dog the Podcast. So if you all followed this leadership race as closely as we did, there was one gentleman who was never present on the debate stage that got just about as much airtime as Patrick Brown, and that's Jim Carahelios. Jim Carahelios is joining us today to talk about his ordeal uh, leading two issue campaigns with the Ontario PC party, being thrown out of the party and having his membership revoked, and how he ultimately won a lawsuit against uh, Patrick Brown and his uh, his team when leader.
1: You know, it got overshadowed with the Patrick Brown, certainly in the beginning with that shocking news conference. And we all know how it ended up. And, you know, then we really start to put all the dots together and they're all put together by Jim, Jamie. I mean, here's this guy who believes in something so strongly he's tossed out of the party for his Commitment to democracy and the grassroots part of a party, it resonates really with politics all over the country. And as Patrick Brown gets tossed out, new leadership race, rot, corruption, all those words are mentioned. It doesn't happen all the time. This guy gets an apology and he gets a lot of revenge. He's driving the future of the PC party in Ontario right now?
2: Questions of character, questions of leadership, questions of governance, questions of policy. Uh, it's our, my honor, Arlene, to uh, welcome a longtime friend going back to my days at the University of Ottawa. He's the leader of the Axe the Tax Campaign and Take Back Our PC party, Jim Carhalios. Welcome to Buy a Dog. Thanks for having me.
1: I want to ask you, first of all, how did it happen? When was the moment you went from Kind of outlier, outcast. When you thought, "Hey, some of the things, the things that I believe in now, could be driving this party."
0: So that's a that's a good question. Actually, a couple of years ago, after Patrick Brown lost, or sorry, won the uh, leadership in 2015, I was actually planning or thinking about running in Cambridge for the PC nomination, and I was mulling around with that for a few months, and then after his carbon tax announcement at his first convention. Uh, a couple things happened. I, I wasn't comfortable with the announcement; it caught everyone off guard uh, because he used to be a prominent opponent of the carbon tax. And then I started getting the sense that the party's policy process was not going to go the way uh, it was supposed to go in terms of governance. And I decided to that I couldn't run under those conditions, and decided to become an advocate with axe the carbon tax.
1: You did, and then it it turned around. Was it when was it when Patrick Brown? Resigned that night. Is that when it happened?
0: You mean most recently?
1: Yeah, I mean when all of a sudden, I mean, you know, here you have axe the carbon tax, take back the PC party, and Patrick Brown resigns, and now that is a driving force of this. Did it happen when Patrick Brown said good night?
0: Oh, I see what you mean. When did I stop? <laughs> when 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 was I no longer an outcast? Is that yeah. What you're yeah. Sorry, I thought you were asking me when I when I decided to become an outcast. <laughs> oh,
1: well, that's all so, terribly
0: interesting. I don't know. I guess I guess you know it became more public when he resigned, although not immediately. I mean, I was picking up steam for Ax the Carbon Tax and the sister campaign, which was Take Back Our PC Party. That was trying to call a general meeting. I was gaining a lot of steam on the ground, and we were getting petitions from members across Ontario. Uh, from last summer, it, it, it was it was it was becoming quite successful, and its success, I think, is what led to have me having my membership revoked, thrown out of the party, thrown out of convention, and faced with a lawsuit that was dismissed by a judge. So I, you know, I guess on the surface it looked like I was an outcast, but there were a lot of grassroots members cheering me on, and there were obviously people within the party, even at senior levels, that, you know, quietly were were telling me to keep going because they were concerned about what was going on. Um, but I guess, you know, when all four candidates in the leadership race confirmed that they were against the carbon tax, that's when, uh, you know, that's, that's when I felt like there was, there was a victory on the policy front. And then as the race went on, you know, Tanya Granick allen really made a central part of her campaign platform, leadership campaign platform, the governance issues of the party. Doug agreed that we have to look at reopening nominations. Christine agreed that the party constitution was not being followed. Caroline said we had a crisis in the party. And then we had that injunction before the leadership convention, which basically that injunction solidified or crystallized exactly what I was saying for months, which is the party constitution is a unifying document of members, not only politically, but legally because if you're in court the day before a vote or convention, and a judge is making a ruling on the leadership vote, obviously that constitution matters.
2: Jim, with Doug Ford now as leader, I think you are probably sleeping a little better at night knowing that you've been welcomed back into the party. But changing the guy at the top is only the beginning. What are you looking for, both from him as leader and the executive as kind of next steps to kind of put real substance behind the support you received throughout the leadership campaign?
0: Well, look, Doug, um you remember what Rob used to say, you always stand up for the little, little guy. Yeah. And Doug kind of showed that during the leadership campaign. There was obviously you know, better ways of getting votes than, than talking about reinstating me and dropping my lawsuit. But he did it anyway. And then I was surprised the, the first executive meeting, the day after the leadership vote, a late night, a hectic night, that I came up on the agenda of the executive meeting. And unanimously, they retroactively reinstated me. So it, it, you know, it shows that he's a leader that keeps his promises and it shows that he's sticking to that Ford brother way of sticking up for the little guy. But you're right, the leader is only one aspect of a political party. To the general public, it doesn't look that way. It looks like the leader runs the show. Certainly when Patrick Brown was in charge, the leader dictated everything and everyone else followed. But we do have the leader's office and we have the party executive and the party executive is voted on by the members. The actions of this party executive have been questionable the last couple of years but they were under a lot of pressure by uh by patrick brown i believe to, to make certain decisions there's been a lot of talk about this party constitution needing amending needing changing i don't think that's the case i think it's a great constitution i think it's the most grassroots constitution from the three parties in ontario the mainstream parties because if you look at the liberal one the Liberal Party constitution actually gives the Liberal leader the right to appoint five candidates, where our constitution doesn't give the leader the power to appoint any candidates. And I think we just have to start following it. So before we think about any changes, we just got to get to a place where we're actually following this constitution and and, and giving it the value that it deserves.
2: Where do you feel these shortcomings are then in terms of not just obviously enforcing it, but even members knowledge of it and how it guides party affairs at what point do was one begin to speak up before this actually becomes a problem
0: yeah so when i was running my campaigns and the lawsuit was dismissed uh someone uh, john malloy a former liberal mpp uh, which kind of figures why he would say this he said oh the campaigns are kind of eye glazing stuff and it's difficult it's con- you know it's a constitution it's legalese it's not something every party member is going to pick up and start looking through Uh, But it's obviously not eye-glazing when the day before a leadership convention, it's in court and it's being analyzed, and all of a sudden it it was a significant thing. But I think there's been a slow drift from empowering the grassroots, and I don't just mean members. I mean, let's take an example. We've slowly drifted away from what the Constitution says and the responsibility of the riding associations to conduct their uh, nominations, and we've drifted away to some model where headquarters runs everything. And I think we have to start putting trust back in the process and the processes that members have agreed to and not trust the people. Because you, you always have to trust the process over the people and not just hope the right people are in charge, especially when the people aren't, that are in charge of a PNC or staff at headquarters, they're not elected by the members, they're not accountable, they're not looking for reelection at the next convention. And so somehow we have to stop this this slow drift of power uh, away from the riding associations.
1: You know, as you're talking about that, too, it, it really kind of rings to what happened here. Because, let's face it, getting rid of this, and this is the rot that was so much a part of this leadership, but it also could hang around in the election. And it's interesting you say that, I mean, because I wanted to ask you, was this— human beings who made this decision, or was it the process? As you say, trust the process, get away from individuals having the power to interpret this for their own ends.
0: It's, it's two things. It's individuals deciding that they're going to circumvent the process, and it's deciding that the ends justify the means. And that's not what democracy is about, and that's not what conservatism is about both a conservative party that believes in democracy believes that the the means are an end in themselves and good means result in good ends if we keep if we keep losing election after election why do we continue the slow drift to new to the same old means you know if if the top down way that patrick brown diagnosed that's why he was leader in 2015 he diagnosed the single biggest issue in this pc party which is a top-down imposition of crazy policy ideas that the members didn't want, that Ontario voters didn't want. And and instead of doing a new way in order to come to a new end, which would have been victory, he decided to just repeat the same thing, which was let's just use the same old means. And he cranked it up. He amplified it. He made it more draconian than ever before. and And that's not the way we get victory by repeating and amplifying the mistakes of the past over and over again. So I think we trust the process over the people. I think the process is laid out fine. It's not obviously in in pithy or or easy English uh, for everyone to read, but there's plenty of lawyers running around the PC party that could sit down and figure it out. Uh, I think we trust the process over the people, and I think it's about means to a new end, new means to get us a new end, and that's a majority government, and to maintain that going forward.
1: Jim, how did you feel when this was happening? What's it like? I mean, we're talking democracy, all really heady stuff, but that's what this boils down to. It means, you know, who controls a party? Who controls the road that it's going to take? And look at everything that happened to you. It ended up being a court case, and it is the thwarting of free speech. And as you say, all those things that conservatives love and should stand for. How did it feel for you when you were on the losing end of it?
0: So when I was on the losing end, you mean mm-hmm. when I, when I was thrown out of the party yeah. you were talking about, mm-hmm. so it was terribly, it was terribly, um, concerning, not, it was, it was really starting to, uh, make me question what was going on. Like, is it, was it just me and my supporters that cared about this? Like, is this not alarming to people? It's one thing to create an, an anti or axe the carbon tax campaign and say I'm going to participate in some policy meetings and try to convince people. And if I fail and the party rejects the idea, which obviously now we've seen 100% four candidates were against it. But you know, it's one thing to go that route. I've done that federally at a convention. I've lost a vote at a breakout room and then I won another one. That's one thing you can stomach. That you know it wasn't a good idea. You didn't campaign well enough. But when things start getting rigged, when There are allegations of irregularities, and and not just as severe as ballot box stuffing, but irregularities where heavy-handed tactics are used in order to choose the candidate who's going to be the next MPP. That's something I cannot stomach. That is is something that should never happen in Ontario, and that is something, not only should that never happen in Ontario, individuals who are trying to stand up for a process that's been agreed to by members should not be delivered retribution or the heavy handed threat of getting thrown out of a party. Because I believe they they threw me out of the party not to deal with me, I'm one guy. I think they did that to send a chill right down the party to every riding association, to every member, to anyone who had any aspirations when he was gonna win government, to send the chill and say, if you think this is a good idea or if you think this is legitimate, look what I'm gonna do to him. I'm gonna make an example of Jim for everyone else to see. And, and so it was trying at times, it was difficult, but, but at the end of the day, you know, my wife kept telling me to keep going. And because there was something more, there was something sinister at play here. It was more than just, you know, stubbornly saying, I don't want to agree with Jim because I'm the leader. There was something more sinister to it because the easy political move to do would have been to say, let's just redo those nominations. Remember Stephen Harper, Jamie might remember what was that riding out in Oakville, Jamie? Um, that kind of went sideways. Where Eve I at?
2: believe that was uh, Oakville North.
0: Yeah, and 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 there were two candidates there. I can't remember the details, but something went sideways there. And the Conservative Party federally does a great job, and they just you know the nomination's over. We're starting over. That makes sense politically. Why would you prolong the problem? Why would you make a, a mushroom cloud or a political problem out of something? But when they started digging in and, and repeating it over and over in numerous nominations, it starts, it starts to, to, to give you an indication that there's something more sinister here. And cr- look, corruption does not have to entail proof that money changed hand. Corruption is the process by which those in power of some sort of organization are abusing their power to get to the certain ends they want and, and not caring about the means. So it was trying at times, but, you know, you just stick it through because you have I had members, uh, supporters on both campaigns that were urging me on.
1: Has it been fixed? I mean, that word corruption, every time I heard it in a debate, you know, you had to shake your head, but also you had to be happy and say, look, it's out here on a debate being bandied around and fingers waving. Is this the end of it, do you think?
0: Well, certainly, you know, you don't just a slow drift one way of the party uh, doesn't just stop when a a new leader is elected but it's certainly a start i mean uh, tanya granick allen had the courage to to say that on a debate stage and and it shone a light on it and all all of the four candidates said there was a crisis or there was violations of the constitution whatever you want to call it corruption you want to call it violating the party constitution it was significant Um, but there is more work to be done i think you know i read the national post yesterday doug said they're going to take a hard look at all the nominations and and see the evidence because we don't really know, you know, we saw media reports, but we don't really know both sides of the stories in each of these nominations. Right. So someone has to step in there to take a hard look. The, the, the grievance of the appeals not being heard, uh, as per the constitution, that was unjust. It was, you know, uh, it was uh, in Patrick Brown's own words, it was, uh, frontier injustice. And he only found he only found, you know, he only found the importance of frontier justice when it came to him. But when he was a leader of the party, he had no problem uh, violating the Constitution to get his way. And and that was unfortunate.
2: So, Jim, I think it's quite common when there's new leadership to these kinds of issues to fade into the backdrop, obviously, sometime after the general election, the party will have another AGM and the executive will be up for re-election. What would you tell grassroots members to look for in the platforms of people running for the next executive as to how the executive can be constructive in enforcing the rules of the constitution as they set out while at the same time not being overly antagonistic uh, to the leader?
0: Yeah, I think it's important when we're going into a next AGM, you know, first of all, I don't have to say anything to grassroots members. They're going to have a lot of questions for the members of this executive, and so I don't have to say any, anything to them about this executive. Uh, they've already, a lot of them have already made up their mind. And then the second thing is when new people step forward, a couple of things have to happen. We can't just have acclamations on this executive anymore. We can't just have, you know, whoever steps up, gets it, or the leader, um, you know, cutting backroom deals the way the way Patrick did to acclaim the president and acclaim the vice president and just line it up, like the whole shot right down the line. There has to be some dissent. There has to be some consensus executive. You know, it'd be great to have an executive that had people from, you know, two, three, four leadership campaigns, for example. And then the third thing that we need is we need people who are running who understand the processes that are in the document. We should not be voting for people on the basis of, trust me, I'll do it better, because that doesn't work. It's not an insult to the individual. It's not, uh, you know, it's not a sleight of hand. But we're not looking for character in people because that's hard to judge on a campaign trail. We're looking for people who understand the knowledge of the process and are willing to work on that and and implement systems with that. There's too much of this drift in the party of I know best. I'm going to sit on a PNC or I'm going to sit on a committee and I'm going to tell the thousands of members what I know is best for everyone else. It's ridiculous. It's just a ridiculous proposition If that was the case, Patrick Brown wouldn't have been approved to run for leader. He was the most most glaring, obvious candidate to run for anything that second time around when he came back for his 10-day Back to the Future comeback tour. (laughs) He was the most glaring example of a guy who should not be a member in good standing in this party. And the PNC allowed him to run. So how does this PNC that it was formally constructed have have the audacity to suggest they know what's best at the local level and who's allowed to run and who's not, when they couldn't even make the obvious call and say, that guy is not a member in good standing of this political party.
1: You know, Doug Ford says at one point he had said, you know, he's not running in my party. I talked to him the other day. He was walking it back a bit. Why do you think so?
0: Well, I mean, he's the new leader. He's trying to unify the party. You can't come out throwing firebombs. Uh, on the first day uh, you know I think Doug was pretty clear in the leadership I I think in the National Post article yesterday he said he was going to look at all the nominations I don't think there's any chance that Patrick is going to be successful if he thinks he's going to go into the next writ and make a circus of this party for another 30 days we saw what that circus looked like for 10 days and we saw the score well not scores but we saw dozens of candidates and buddies of his lining up on stage, cheering him on, let's do another round of this corrupt regime, another another kick at the can. That was fantastic the first time. Uh, and that was re- embarrassing for the party. I mean, they used to say that me sending a mailer to a couple thousand people in the party and having an internal party campaign, that was embarrassing for the party. What was that 10-day expose all about? That, that must have been the most embarrassing period of the PC party that I've ever seen, for any, or even for any Conservative Party in Canada that I've ever seen. Uh, so I don't think there's any way that Patrick Brown is going to be on the ticket uh, for 30 days in a writ, because it's going to cost us the next election, or at least at least hamper our ability uh, to win as many seats as Doug
2: can. So on the policy side of things, you've obviously got wins in your sales for Axe the Tax. What's next for your Take Back Our PC Party campaign?
0: Well, that's that, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think I'm here to help out. Um, you know, the party now that I've been reinstated. If they need help in terms of analyzing or figuring out, you know, because I spent a lot of time, I've written a lot of stuff. People tell me all the time, Jim, you got to cut back your, your writing. It's it's just way too long. I don't have time to read four <laughs> pages. And 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 I apologize. It is kind of wordy stuff, but it is you know somewhat complicated. You got to flesh it out. So I'm happy to help. The new leader and his team, if they call upon me to figure out, you know, my analysis of certain writings, my analysis of the Constitution, how to, I'll give advice where I can on how uh, nominations should be reviewed, or perhaps how the PNC should work, and my interpretation of the rules. Um, Because you know, the unfortunate part of the last little while is everyone knows now that the party constitution can get taken to court. There was a question of that two years ago, whether court had jurisdiction. Now it's clear that a court will hear it. So I think I think there has to be a more serious approach to reading this constitution and figuring out if what's going on. So I'm, I'm here to help. I'm here to help the party. I'm here to help if, uh, if uh, Doug and um, uh, his team think that I can be of assistance so that we can clean stuff up in time, because it's a short period of time, so they're gonna need all the help they can get. And then look, after the election, uh, You know, Doug's in a time crunch here, so he's going to have to do as much as he can in a short period of time. Then after the election, we'll see where it takes us. Right. There are thousands of members on both of my campaigns uh, that want to see something happen. I'm beholden to them. I'm not going to sell out the people that stuck by me when when things were kind of dark. And we'll see. You said there's another general meeting uh, after the election. See what happens in the general election. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens there.
1: All right. I have one more question. Big, heady question for you, sure. Jim. You know, as I'm listening to your talk, I'm not just thinking about the province of Ontario. I'm thinking about federal liberal nomination troubles, all those rumblings that we hear here in Canada. And I'm thinking south of the border. When you say, I'm the only one who can fix it, we know that that is also being used in politics in the United States. Is this a moment? Look what you've done is this a moment where you think Canadians and everybody, I mean, really, have to take ownership of democracy? Well, I'm watching politics around the world. I'm I'm always thinking lately, people just take it for granted. People here in Canada, we take it for granted, but it starts small and then it erodes. Now, how much do you think that that all Canadians should pay attention to this?
0: Well, that's a heavy question. I mean, it is. <laughs> if you. You know, certainly I would not advise, I would never advise anyone, um, well, I shouldn't say that. That's a tough question. Look, I guess what I'm trying to say is you run two grassroots campaigns like I did and you go through a lawsuit thrown out of the party, at convention. It was a, it was a lonely Christmas. I'll tell you, I had political friends that call me every Christmas. I didn't hear from them last Christmas and you come out of it victorious, um, but you're still kind of wounded. I'll be honest with you. It's like exhausting. And then when it's all over, you know, it's, it's not a victory lap. You're not jumping up and down doing cartwheels or jumping jacks because it takes a toll. So certainly Canadians shouldn't feel like, like that's what I have to go through to get involved in politics. So I'm, I'm mildly concerned that as we talk about this, people will have the opposite reaction, which will be well, if that's what it takes, forget it. I'd rather I'd rather take care of my family, but you know, the, it's a complicated question that you're asking because, on the media side of it, you're right—sound bites and cutting communication—that's biting, and not four-page letters that I'm writing. It, it, that that is what uh, drives a lot of the voter base for all the parties. But for those that are activists within the party, if we are able to respect the process, I think it will endear more people to get involved because no one wants to get involved in a political party where a handful of people at the top are telling everybody else what to do except when it comes time for them to give money and put up signs. There's no reward in that. There's no, why would I do that? Unless I'm some sort of sycophant who just wants to take pictures of the ruler of the day. If I actually want to implement change, why would I get involved in a party where I cannot influence what is going on? It's, it's, in, it's the antithesis of trying to grow a party and build a majority. So I think we go back to processes, we go back to respecting riding associations, and I think good things will come out of it. I mean, look at federally what happened. Even though we lost the last election, we've got strong membership numbers in all the provinces, strong donor numbers, because they respect the process, I think, a lot better than we've seen provincially.
2: With uh, Sounds like you have no shortage of friends. Are you thinking about buying a dog anytime soon? A what? Perfect.
0: We have a dog. Is that what the podcast is about? Yeah.
1: You need a friend in politics. They say buy a dog. That's exactly good question. We have a
0: cardigan Welsh corgi.
1: Oh, I'm so glad you do. I'm glad you do. Perfect. Jim Carahalios, thank you for joining us. And thank you for everything that you've been doing for democracy. Cheers.
0: Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jim. Bye.
1: Jamie, it was great to have Jim because it's really, really so important. You know, hearing the emotion in his voice, you know, it really struck me as we said, and we call by a dog, and we know that he has a dog and we're happy he does because he had a lonely Christmas. When you stand up for what you believe in, even in politics, you can get totally crushed.
2: Yeah, and he told us as well, his wife was one of the people that uh, told and encouraged him to keep fighting. I think as we look at now, the state of the party going forward. It's, it's clear from Jim's words today, if not exactly clear on what actions will be next, that this isn't going to be an initiative that he's about to walk away from. So I think he'll definitely make himself a resource to the leader and the, and the party at large going forward between now and a general election on June 7. But uh, I think you're going to hear Jim's name again as the party goes towards its next AGM after the campaign. And it'll be interesting to see how the party executive responds then.
1: He's the conscience of a party. And now I'm thinking as we move forward in our podcast, I think we should ask all the players if they indeed own a dog. And I'm happy he has those Welsh corgis.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, Arlene, what's next in store now that the Ontario PCPR party leadership race is done?
1: Well, I mean, we're all looking. I mean, I'm amazed at the kind of reaction Doug Ford is getting. And I think the liberals went to sleep. Kathleen Wynne went to sleep, poured herself a glass of wine after that win was finally announced. I don't know if she's not draining the bottle right now. It's going to be one heck of a race. And all eyes are on Doug Ford. He has got an opportunity that rarely is offered in political life. He's the head of a party. And the polls are very low for the opposition. And he's also leading all these new movements that we talked today about Jim. And he's going to try to put it together in his own way. I mean, we're using the word populism. It's not that easy. He can pull from the NDP. He can pull from the liberals. This is going to be one of the wildest campaigns we've ever seen.
2: And with that, folks, on future episodes, we will indeed start to talk more about the Liberals and the NDP. We, of course, want to hear from you. If you've been enjoying Buy a Dog, feel free to reach out on Twitter. We can be found at Buy a Dog podcast as well as on Facebook at the same handle. And uh, let us know who you want to hear from. What are the issues that we need to be exploring? And what's uh, murmuring beneath the surface outside of the media airwaves as we turn towards a general election uh, that'll take place on June 7th?
1: I'm Arlene Bynum.
2: I'm Jamie Ellerton. This has been By a Dog.